Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. I get to introduce a brand new sermon series today. So we're starting a brand new thing. This will be I think, the next five or six weeks. I don't remember exactly. But um, as we look at the culture around us, we see that there, we are awash in untruth. And so what we're attempting to do, uh, myself, a few of our elders, is to call out the lies in the culture around us, to call out the lies of the enemy, hence the title of our series. And so for the next five to six weeks, uh, our goal is really to raise awareness of what truth is and where the lies are. Because uh, we've never been a people in the history of humanity, there's never been a people that have had more information pushed towards them, that have had more data and more advertising and more everything. You swim in a deeper sea of information than anyone ever has before, and that can make it really difficult to find out what's true and what's not. And so what we want to start with today is I'm going to do something of an overview and give you a sense of, of really, well, I'm aiming for awareness. I'm really aiming to make sure that we know together that there is actually a spiritual battle taking place. And sometimes in 2023, we want to be rational and scientific, and we, go, we don't want to acknowledge that there's a spiritual realm that exists. And yet if we don't acknowledge that, what we're doing is willfully going into the world blind. There is a spiritual war taking place every day. Scripture says that we do have an enemy. I was actually, uh, it's funny that we're teaching this today. Sunday is a day uh, people go to church, things happen. I have it on good authority that uh, the Wood County Emergency Room this morning was entirely empty, save for two families, and both were pastors with their kids. And you go, you know, if there was an enemy, that would be a pretty good strategy to start taking truth offline, is to take people out of the game. And, and we see this everywhere. We play this game in my house, my wife and I. It's not really a game. It's I go, if there was an enemy, wouldn't this be what would happen? And it's a way to see the world where you go, the world isn't as simple as what I can see and feel. The world according to scripture, has layers that go beyond what we can touch. And so when we see things happen, sometimes the uh, explanation is really obvious and natural, and that's fine. And sometimes there's a different explanation hiding behind it, and we have to have the eyes to see that. And that's a little bit about what today is going to get us into, is do we have the eyes to see, do we have the ears to hear the world as it truly is? So scripture says there's an enemy, calls it the devil. There's a battle for hearts and minds. There's a battle for souls and eternities. And most often, this battle is fought in truth and lies. John 8 says, uh, Jesus says, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. In John 14, Jesus says, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So there's a clear contrast made in Scripture between good and evil, between life and death, truth and lies. Jesus is truth, the Scripture says. God, he's, he's God's word made flesh. So, completely consistent with God's word, but in the flesh. It's not the world you live in, though. Your world would say, live your truth. Your world would say, live your truth as if you could create it yourself. Or truth is just relative. That's true for you, but maybe not for me, as if your perspective can change what's real. 
Or truth, some would even say, is sort of impossible to know. Let's be honest. It just can't quite know what's real. As if there isn't any objective center to life. So we're awash in truth, untruth, your truth, my truth. We're awash in a world of lies. And this leads to what we see in our world, which is conspiratorial thinking. We've talked about this before. Conspiratorial thinking is lies conjured up to disguise our lack of understanding about what might be true. So politicians on the left and the right, they lie without consequence. They call inconvenient facts fake news. They invent new words, phrases, concepts to distort whatever is real and doesn't suit their agenda. And it's sort of unpunished because we're cheering for one side or the other. Corporations lie. They say their products will make you happy or sexy or skinny or just plain old satisfied. Politicians, corporations, even churches lie. Snake oil preachers invite you to be faithful in return for happiness and wealth. Whereas when you read the words of Jesus, he says you might pretty well expect to be persecuted and not really loved by the world. That doesn't really seem to go together. Societally, we choose genders like outfits for the day. We tell kids that the facts of their biology don't compare to the force of their feelings. And culturally, culturally, we just create new words and categories for whatever depravity we want to try next. But we don't call it a depravity, we call it a TikTok trend. Lies are not empty phrases from a passive space. We have to get out of this idea that lies are some empty phrase in a passive space. The scripture is clear that the devil is alive and active. And if we want to live in ignorance of that, then we will get what comes to us. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be watchful and be alert, because the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'm not going to tell you a bunch of safari stories. We were in Africa two weeks ago, three weeks ago. How long has it been? Two months? It's been a minute. And you get a picture really quickly that there are 500-pound lions that can get real low in the grass, and you don't even see them there. You come around a bend, and there's seven of them that you didn't know were there. If you're unaware of what is out-stalking you, what is out-stalking you will get you. And then you see what the lions are stalking, and you see these groups together, groups of impala or groups of wildebeest. Why do they live in groups? Because they're all alert and watchful, and if one hears, it tells the other, and they run. And who's the one that gets killed? The weak one off by itself. And that's not a plug for community groups, but it's a plug for community groups. Be watchful, it says. Be watchful, be sober-minded. Be watchful of what? So what we're going to do today is talk about two different types of lies. We're going to talk about big lies and small lies. They're different. There's distinct strategies, but I think the enemy has two different strategies, and if we're not careful, we are going to get taken by one or the other, and if we're really not careful, you've already maybe been taken by both. So big lies. Let's start with big lies. They are impersonal, safe to engage. Big, 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 obvious lies. You see a headline, you go, that's stupid, that's not true. You hear something a friend tells you, you go, oh gosh, you believe that? They're big. Easy to engage, not afraid of them. It's a Trojan horse strategy. You get the big lie, and people can reject it, but then there's something else lurking inside of the big lie. They don't even have to be good lies. So think of a big, dumb lie. Like? 
the earth is flat. That's kind of a big, dumb lie. That's not the devil. That's dumb, right? You're like, that's probably not really a thing. So you have a friend who says, hey, the earth is flat. You can't trust them. To which you say, who is them? And they say, oh, authority, bro. You can't trust what they're telling you. They want you to believe this. Power corrupts. To which you agree that you can't always trust authority. Fine, that's true. But the earth is clearly round. To which your friend will say, that's what they want you to think. They set it up like that. And as you're about to eject from this conversation, they say, don't you remember JFK? And you go, that has nothing to do with anything. And they say, what about the man with the umbrella? Some of you are JFK people, and you're going, I know about the man with the umbrella. Some of you are not JFK people, and you're going to Google the man with the umbrella, doing exactly the opposite of what I'm asking you to do today. Avoid the lies. And you go, yeah, I mean, that's not anything to do with anything. And they go, yeah, no, you're probably right. Um, remember COVID, though? And you go, oh, gosh, here we go. Guys, it's too soon. It's from a lad. No, it's from a market. Masks work, or do they? The vaccine should stop transmission, unless it doesn't. And pretty soon you're talking about 5G chips inside of, you know, and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but we got way far afield because you think the earth is flat? So your friend, having gone through these myriad of ridiculous lies, half-truths and half-baked ideas, says, why would you believe anything they tell you? Let's not define who they are. And so you finally are kind of tired of it, but also being rational, and you say, sure, I'm, everybody has an agenda, that's fair. And the agenda, they say, is to stay in power at all costs. Everybody's after power. And so, finally, you put your foot down. You say, listen, maybe. Maybe there are agendas I don't know about. Maybe there's things happening in the world I can't explain. But the earth is quite definitely round. And your friend says, okay. Fall in line with the other sheep. <laughs> so you resolve internally, somehow, quietly, that yes, you know the earth is round but maybe you can't trust authority. Maybe you can't trust authority, and then you're in church the next week, and you hear that Scripture is God-breathed and is the authority in your life. And something in the back of your head says, yeah, but you can't always trust authority. Are we sure Jesus said those things? Did he really mean all those things? Maybe he just meant some of them. Maybe he meant those for some context, but he didn't mean that for me, or he didn't mean that for us, or he didn't know 2023 was coming, so he doesn't quite mean what he thinks he means. Would Jesus wear a mask, and how can you be sure? And so empty lies are then creating these big enemy Trojan horses that sneak in past our defenses and start unleashing this other insidious thing. It's this discrediting of general truth in our life. And all of a sudden, you don't know what's true and what's not. You don't believe what's true and what's not. You sort of don't believe that true can be true anymore. And it's undermined the role of truth in the world and the truth as you see it. And so even in your home, you're willing to let up on some things. You're willing to allow for some things. You're willing to kind of be unsure about some things that Scripture says are already decided. Because a big lie has created a void, a void, where there was once a place of authority. In the Screwtape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis does this genius thing where he's writing, uh, he writes an entire book from the perspective of kind of a senior demon training his young apprentice. And so, back and forth, these letters are written about how to trap these Christians, how to convince them of all the lies, how to get them in any way, shape, or form just away from their God, 
And he says this at one point, one of the, the demons who writes, he said, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And I think that's a profound thing. All the enemy needs to do is create a void where truth used to be. Eroding truth is just as effective as getting you to believe what's false. Think about it. Just eroding what is true is just as effective as getting you to believe what's false. The enemy just needs you to lose your watchfulness and drop your alert, and from there, we're good to go. So take John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the enemy doesn't need me to worship Satan in order to keep me from true life. He just needs me to stop fully trusting and believing in Jesus. It's a little shift. He doesn't need me to do the opposite of what the scripture is, is saying is true. He doesn't need me to stop believing in Jesus. He just needs to create a little doubt, a little nudge, a little something else, a little maybe Jesus plus some hard work, or maybe Jesus or other gods are good, or maybe, and all of a sudden we find ourselves awash in something that isn't right. To this I would say believing nothing is just as deadly as believing the wrong thing. Believing nothing is just as deadly as believing the wrong thing. You don't have to believe the wrong thing for it to kill you. So we get sucked into the void, and then we start to hedge, which leads us to middle grounds and moderation and half-truths, which are just as good as lies. If I don't believe on the thing that I know to be true, I might as well not believe anything at all. Jesus says he's the only way. And that makes us uncomfortable. Jesus says he is the only way, the exclusive way to unity with the Father, to eternity in heaven. Jesus is the only way. To which we say, what about my friend, though? Like, my friend is this really good person. They do great things. They're, like, generous beyond belief. They, they're, better, they're a better person. I've heard this a thousand times. They're a better person than anybody that goes to our church. The way they live, the people they love. They're faithful, so faithful. Uh, just sort of spiritual, not like in the, the Jesus faithful, but they are so faithful. And you're trying to tell me they won't go to heaven. I get it. Like, we don't want to commit to the hard stuff. We don't want to draw lines if we can avoid it. We don't want to hurt feelings. We don't want to seem intolerant. We don't want to, we back off. And we adopt this other idea. We adopt an idea that isn't nothing, but it's everything. We adopt an idea that everything is okay as long as it's not the bad stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's not like, you know, you didn't kill a guy. That's fine. And that's fine, and that's fine, and that's fine. And Jesus with a little Buddha mixed in, sure, that's fine. And we just, that's fine everything until we have everything and we believe not in nothing. We all of a sudden believe in everything. And believing everything is just as deadly as believing the wrong thing. Just like believing nothing is just as deadly, believing everything is just as deadly as believing the wrong thing. How many of you uh, have ever driven a car? This is an easy one. Should be a lot of hands in the air. I went from driving a manual transmission, you know, you're working your way through the gears, to driving an automatic transmission car a couple years ago. High luxury, people. Do you know, if you can, can you picture your transmission, however it works, a dial, a knob, a shifter, whatever it is, you can picture your transmission in your car? Pretty simple. has a P, and then an R, and an N, and a D, and depending how nice your car is, some other letters and numbers at the bottom. But it's 
P-R-N-D. That's what your automatic shifter looks like. Pretty clear. P is for park. Good. You guys, let me get out of the parking lot first, and then you can do whatever you got to do. When, we go, when you go forward, what letter are you choosing? You want to go forward, what letter are you choosing? D. D. Good job. We're going to get there. You want to go backwards, what do you choose? Yeah. In between. Where does that take you? Nowhere. N doesn't take you into the ditch, but it also doesn't take you anywhere good. So what's my point? If the goal is to keep you from moving forward with, with Jesus, if the goal, if the enemy has a goal to keep you from moving forward with Jesus, doesn't need to put you in reverse. Doesn't need to move you backwards out of faith. Just needs to have you in neutral. Just be neutral. You're fine. You're good. Stay there. Believe whatever. It's fine. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. The voice of the Lord, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. All this is coming from lies. Big lies erode truth. Big lies undermine authority. The enemy invites us to believe nothing or everything. Ultimately, what does the enemy want? that we would believe anything but the one thing that sets us free. The enemy wants you to believe nothing or everything. Either tactic works, as long as you don't lock on to the one thing that sets you free. What is this freedom? John 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, what else is there? What else do we need to hear to understand where it is we find freedom in the Spirit, we find freedom in the Lord, we find freedom in Christ. And we as a people, July 4th is on the way. Today it's Memorial Day weekend. We celebrate people who gave their lives. We honor people who served and sacrificed in order to give us freedom, right? You're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers. You're going to jump in a pool. You're going to wave a flag. Why? Because people gave their lives for our freedom. You want real freedom, Jesus says. You will abide by my word. And there's no greater freedom. July 4th will come, we'll gather on the lawn, we'll watch fireworks, we'll celebrate freedom again, and then we'll go right back to lives where we buy into the lie. And we wonder why we feel caged, we wonder why we feel bound, we wonder why life seems to be breaking down. We're physically, mentally, emotionally, we are unstable, broken down people because we've bought the lie. And he says, you want to feel freedom? You want to feel what God created you for? You want to know what human flourishing looks like? It comes with abiding in God's word and abiding in the word of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus declared himself light of the world. We talked about this. He upended Jewish life. He essentially declares himself Messiah. And he says, truth sets you free. I'm going to save you, but the truth sets you free. And the big lies, they will get you. So those are big lies. Big lies can sneak in and create all kinds of problems. What about small lies? Big lies are dangerous. Small lies, I would say, are more insidious. Small lies are more insidious. Sometimes they tumble out of the big lies, but more often the small lies in life are just whispered by the enemy. And these are more dangerous because crowds can't dispel the whisper. Crowds can tell you that the earth is round. 
But that whisper in your ear, they don't even know that you're being lied to. So they can't help you dispel that. You just have to sit with it. I was introduced uh, a couple years ago to this concept called a life lie. Some people have a life verse. Oh, I have a life verse. This is the verse. I kind of live by this. I like this scripture. I was doing this, this kind of life mapping project with a friend. She was working me through it. And she had me write down my life in chapters. And some of you have done this before. I had to write all the chapters and the big events and the big tragedies and the big joys and mapped out my whole life and then surprised me. And she said, now I need you to map out the lie. I was like, I don't know what you mean. She goes, well, in here there is an enemy. And I said, no, we agree. She said, there's a life lie happening in here somewhere. So go back and let's look through your life. Let's look through the ups and the downs. Let's look through your birth order. What's the tragedies? What, what is happening? What is the lie? And it became really clear to me uh, really quickly. For most of my life, I have believed that I am unlovable. How's that? That's not something I ever consciously said to anybody. But for most of my life, the lie of the enemy is you are unlovable. I didn't walk around like Eeyore, oh, no one loves me. But quietly I lived like it was true. The enemy started to work on me early. The whisper started early. I was the third of four kids. Middle child children in the room? Don't raise your hand, no one cares. <laughs> middle kid joke. I was, a, I was an overlooked middle child. I had the high-achieving older siblings and the so adorable younger sister. My parents went through some profound marital struggles for multiple years as I was coming of age. It was already an awkward season. You're already convinced nobody gets you, sees you, or cares about you. I kind of just felt like it was true. So I started acting out. I once got caught jumping out of a window at school just to say I could. Not a good idea. <laughs> See, wait a minute. I just wanted some attention, I guess. And I dared the people in my class who were in no way interested in what I was doing that I would get out of the room with my teacher who had her back turned, come all the way around the building, and get back in the room, and how you doing, teacher? And she wouldn't know what happened. And they were like, why would you do that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm the third of four children, and my parents are having some trouble, so I'd like some attention. I'll be right back. <laughs> and as I went out the window, I heard my name with just my ankles left in the room, which created a really awkward tension. Because she said, get back in here, but really, there's no way to get back in a window when only your ankles are left in the window. So I had to actually leave the room, walk around the building, just like my plan, come back in the room, walk in and say, hey, teach. And she goes, no, you don't need to be here. The principal's that way. And it was great. My mom didn't know about it because I told the assistant principal that she sent me to that my parents were having trouble at home and I was probably just acting out. So that person sent me to a really nice teacher who dealt with troubled youth, and I sat with her for a couple hours, had some tacos, and went back to school. My mom found out about a week later when the triplicate form that sent me to the principal's office got auto-mailed home like they always did, and she left it waiting for me on the stairs, and she said, what's this? And I said, I don't know, Mom, my parents are having trouble at home, and it, it didn't work. So from a young age, I wanted people to laugh at me, because maybe then they would love me. I looked for love in all the wrong places. Relationships in my young adulthood were destructive every single time. 
I didn't know that anybody would love me anyway, so why would I ever join intimacy and commitment? So I became kind of spontaneously promiscuous over and over and over again. I went off to be a missionary. Being a missionary is a really cool thing. People think you're cool. They love you when you're a missionary, except that you go to be a missionary and then you're utterly alone 10,000 miles from anybody you know. Kind of reinforced, maybe you're not lovable unless you do great stuff. I got married. I worked hard to be lovable or at least hide the fact that I was unlovable. I would never have even known that I felt unlovable, but I had to work really hard to make sure I was loved. As a young pastor, the applause and the approval of the crowd and my mentor meant everything to me, chiefly important, so I rose quickly in the ministry because preaching to thousands of people feels good. And all below the surface, I never even knew that the lie existed. And even now, knowing the lie, I have to remind myself all the time that it's there. The whisper to the seven-year-old was, you're not lovable. No one even knows you're here. And I didn't learn that for 30 years. Most of us never learn our lie. Most of us never take the time to hear the whisper. So I have to stay alert. I have to stay alert to that lie at all times. I have to be careful not to be here for your affection or your applause. Why do I tell the story about sneaking out of the... It's not in my notes, but it was funny. Did you like it? Do you like me? I'm pretty uh, historically bad, I've been told, at accepting compliments. Some of you might have noticed. People have said it looks like I'm hurting you when I tell you nice things. When I try to hug you, you recoil like a frightened deer. I think that used to be because the lie that was whispered to me said, this isn't deserved and that's not real. You're unlovable. Now, I actually react the same way now that I know the lie, but that's because I don't want to let the affection or applause try to undo the thing I know that's true. Because I know that I'm, I'm liable to go searching for that, to invite that, to ask for it. So because I'm aware of the affection of others, as opposed to the applause of heaven, I have to guard myself. I have to stay alert. I have to stay watchful. A lie planted in a seven-year-old heart was designed to bloom fully. At 37 or 47 or maybe 67, as long as it takes. It was designed to bloom fully and blow up a family or a church. Because all I have to do is seek affection in the wrong way once. The enemy doesn't need to convince me to hate Jesus, just needs to sneak a little lie in and let it go to work. The enemy snuck into me that I was unlovable. So how do I counteract that lie? We read it earlier. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God so loved you. God so loved me. God so loved, ooh, wait, loved. God loved me saw me, knew my life, knew my actions, knew exactly what I would do, knew every mistake I would make, and saw fit to love me enough anyway to send his son to die for me on the cross, sacrificially giving his life that I might know the Father. Unlovable, please. Lies. What about you? What big lies have eroded the truth in your life? What is the lie of the enemy that the enemy wants to use to take you down? What vulnerable spots would he target? What whispers do you need to call out? We have an enemy, and his weapon is lies. 
You need to understand the truth that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You were created for glory. You are chosen and you are loved. You are called out ones. God has called you saints. In the midst of your sin, Jesus still gave his life and said, you are now my friends. You are my sons and daughters. You are saints called of the Most High to live a life of glory and purpose and meaning and intention. And in order to do that, we have to root on truth. And we have to recognize the lies of the enemy around every single corner. The big ones that distract us from what's real and the little ones that whisper untruth every day. So what are the lies you've believed in? May you remember the truth. That there is a battle taking place in the midst of this whole enterprise. Walk out these doors, the battle is taking place. The battle is taking place every day for hearts and minds and souls and eternity. And so our job is to fight the lies by rooting ourselves in truth, by looking to his word, by looking to his ways. But we say we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus in spirit and in truth, in word and in deed, in behavior and belief. We root ourselves in what is true, we become aware of what is false, and then we live lives on purpose, with a purpose, because he has called you his own. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your children, your sons and daughters. Father, these are the people you have called to your purpose. These are the people you have called into your glory Father, as we sit with our own questions about what the lies are we've believed, as we sit with our own conviction about where we have allowed untruth to send us off the path, Father, remind us of what is true, that we are here and we are yours because you saw fit to love us radically. Father, thank you for Jesus and what his life and death and resurrection means about us that we are worthy of your love, that we are worthy of your calling, that we are worthy of life. So Father, challenge us and convict us and bring us into that life of flourishing. Tear us away from the life of lies and the distractions of all the nonsense that swirls around us. And instead, Lord, focus us on the one true thing, the one thing that sets us free. Focus us on who we are in you. Root us in our identity. We are your sons and daughters and you are a good father. God, we love you. Thank you for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.